Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined here by my co-host, Robbing Michael. That would be me. There you are. And a very um, special guest, a prodigal son, if you will, who has returned home for a short time, Jordan Renault. Hello. Hello. He's not a guest. He's an official host. Jordan, we will take you back. Oh, thank you. I will kill the firstborn cattle. The calf. The fattened calf? Yes, that's what I was looking for. That's the word. Sweet. I will kill the fattened calf. We will have a party. Although, if I killed the fattened calf, I think PETA would have me arrested. And your older brother will be very upset at you for leaving, coming back. He stayed here the whole time. (laughs) Both my older brothers. Yes, exactly. Anyway, Jordan, it's yeah. great to have you back on, man. Thank um, you. It's good to be back. Yes, for sure. I'm glad you were able to stop by when you were down here for, what, just a few days, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Quick visit. Yes, well, it's good to have you back. I'm excited for this episode. It should be, as always, hopefully a jam-packed one, because Rob, oh, Mr. Controversial over here, has some big topic he wants to talk about. <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah, it's a very small topic. Okay. Let's, let, let, let's get right into it. First things first. Jordan, I saw that you brought some coffee for us. I did. Because you heard our last episode. <laughs> I was embarrassed. A week later listening to the podcast. Actually, last night on the plane listening to the podcast. <laughs> I like hid my face from the other passengers, even though I was listening to headphones. Oh, my gosh. Just in As, case they heard something. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Just in case they heard Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this, this is, guy listening to? Desperate Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> desperate times. Stuck with these people for five hours. All right, let me ask you a question. What if Dunkin' Donuts called us up and said, listen, we heard mm. about your podcast. It's making huge waves in the podcast let, let me world. Ask, let me we ask you something, We want to sponsor your Tim. podcast. Think back to your teenage years and tell me how you feel about sellouts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel too good about sellouts. All right. That's so you, your answer. All right. That's my answer. Fair enough. <laughs> So, what did you bring us this this week, Jordan? It is a uh, single origin Colombia Nariño, which we're not drinking. We're not drinking because it. Rob, <laughs> Rob, but bought, I brought it. Yes, you did. But Rob brought Starbucks, or you bought Starbucks. They're coffee. both Starbucks, actually. Yeah, well, you have the single now single origin. They say is better because it's from one is one, it one state, one state. So, like one estate. region. Yeah, no, like one farm, kind of, or it could be like a group of farms together. Is yeah. the coffee better? It is often more like particularly flavored, whereas if you mix ones from a lot of different estates together, they, you end up with a more consistent flavor, but more also more like middle of the road, hmm. maybe not as exciting. So really, we're, Rob's coffee is not nearly as good wait, as wait, yours. Wait. What? My coffee is also single origin. Oh, it is? Yes. Yeah, I thought is. it tasted that way. I <laughs> just purely guessing. But you know your single origin. It's a very single origin flavor. The only difference was mine's a medium roast. His is a dark roast. Yeah. So we went with the medium roast because it was yeah. already ground. <laughs> yes. Another yes. faux pas, I'll point out, <laughs> to use pre-ground coffee. But oh we already goodness. had this. You had this discussion last week. But I week, only so. have a blade grinder. Blah, yeah. blah, blah, Listen, blah, here, blah. You need the burrs. <laughs> here comes Jordan, Get the some coffee burrs. master, yeah. coming back from Seattle. The I history, heard the podcast. The freaking mecca of coffee over there. I listened to, to your podcast, and I had to immediately fly back here <laughs> and do something about it. He's telling his wife, get me on the next plane to Jersey. 
Oh my uh, god! Or the, did I say plane? The next plane to Jersey? Yeah, I that's that what it is. That's what you fly on. You were concerned because you don't really want to call it a flight because that's close to fight because then United. And, well, I understand. Right, exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to too soon. You know, it was, I, uh, I didn't want to go there. It was Alaska Airlines. I, oh, okay. Oh, so you were safe. I, I steered glad, plenty clear. I'm glad you were a good Christian man and you boycotted the right company. United, yeah. For the terrible treatment of that yeah. man. Anyway, let's move right along. So we're drinking coffee. Jordan, how is Seattle going, by the way? Give us the update. Going great, yeah. Great, good enough. All right, let's move it on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so really anyway. Going? No, yeah, it's going really good. Uh, my wife and I, I guess we've been out there for seven-ish months now. Which just it does about. not feel like. It's flown by, honestly. It's crazy. Yeah, I think it like feels like so long ago. But then I came back here today, and I'm like driving down the turnpike, and I'm like, this is exactly everything I remember. Like, yes. But also, I had two thoughts coming back to New Jersey that contrasted with what I've become used to in Seattle. And I think that New Jersey is very flat. I've become used to mountains okay. all around, which is awesome. It's one of my favorite things about Seattle. And in Seattle, I'd drive five over the speed limit and easily be the fastest person on the road. Are you Here, kidding me? Oh, yeah, definitely. Here I drive five over the speed limit, and there's like every single car, dude. Five <laughs> whizzing over the speed by limit is like, what are you, an elderly person? Yeah, that's what it's like. You no, know, I think Christians people, do five over. Yeah, I think people tend in Washington tend towards like five under. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. Just for that sole fact alone, I could never live in Washington. I would be the worst driver. I'm bad enough when we're doing ten over half the time. I no, nope. Also, have you had Wawa yet? I wanted to ask you about that. No, I haven't. Oh my word. I've only been here one day. Okay. Fair enough. So No, that's not fair enough. He should have got it right when he landed. Did I ever tell you guys <laughs> I that flew into when JFK. I had some friends from Germany visit, I got the Wawa, and of course they were hooked. They went back home. About two years later, later they came back to visit. The first thing they asked me when they came off the plane, where's the next Wawa? I need a hoagie. I'm like, oh my God. I love it. <laughs> you trained I, them right. I did. I did. So, um, Jordan, how is the church plant going? Because I know that was the whole reason why you went, was yeah. to help plant a church. Yeah, but we've been helping lead the young adult group there. Um, they're really great people, and we've been really enjoying getting to know them and building community with people. And yeah, it's been great. Awesome. That's great. Well, yeah. good to have you back here for a little bit. So <laughs> Thanks. Definitely a great time. Um, Rob, you have the agenda for our jam-packed show. Uh, what's next on our agenda? We, I'm going to get you a thesaurus. On our what? Our jam-packed show? Jam-packed. It's jammed and it's packed. <laughs> that and Bible Belt. Yeah. Heart of the Bible Belt. Okay. I researched it. Bible <laughs> Belt, right, right where I said it was. Arkansas. Okay. You can Google it. It's right there. I'm just kidding. Anyway. Giving so you what's a next, time. Rob? What, what, what do we got? Uh, we got a good old news story for you. We do. Thank you which, for reminding me. If I you want me to you want me to introduce? Go ahead. Yes. Right. Thank you, Rob. You're welcome. So um, before while, while we were doing what we call show prep, which is really it's ten minutes before we hit the record button and go, <laughs> what should we talk about and do? Um, Frantically we, googling. Yes, yes. No, that, that's I gotta not, find something. That's not true. I texted you earlier. You just didn't agree with what no, I said. I responded <laughs> to you in that text, and you didn't you didn't respond to me the whole day. I was busy. Okay, whatever. Anyway, mm. Christians in the news. So this happened a little a little while ago. It's like in January. The Queen's chaplain steps down, and he calls the reading of Koran in church service a fairly serious error. Now that's the headline, right? That's the headline. 
I think though this is kind of like one of those clickbait headlines. I gotta say, it's pretty misleading. There's probably there's probably in my opinion maybe five guys out there who write all these headlines because they're so <laughs> well worded. Because you can take it either way, and they know that you're gonna take it to to read as that the the actual chaplain read the Quran and was like, "Oops, I didn't know that that this was the Quran. I thought it was the Bible." Oh, I see what you mean. I didn't see it that way when that's I first how read I it. I saw it. I, th- okay. I saw it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's hilarious!" <laughs> he was like, "This guy Oops. opened up a Quran, <laughs> thought it was the Bible, and read it and had no idea." No, it turned out to be much better than that. <laughs> yeah, well, almost well, a little yeah. more scary, I would say. So True. what happened is, is or what? What? What happened was was thank you. What happened was that. During a church service, um, I guess to make it a little more multicultural and a little more multi-religious, one of the chaplains, not this guy, a different guy, read from the Quran during the church service in um, Arabic. Yeah. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) But here's the problem. I mean, well, there's a couple problems. But the big problem was that the the passages that that the the chaplain read were saying that Jesus was not the Son of God. I guess Which he was just presenting a, uh, a, you know, devil's advocate. So the chaplain, he <laughs> from the other side saying, like, listen, I think this is a major Not problem. Not the, wait, different Sorry, chaplain. You're right. This is the one the article is about. Yes. Resigned because he didn't want to speak out against the reading of the Quran right. while he was still the right. king's chaplain Which, as a representative of the monarchy. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe that's also kind of like not the right move. Maybe you should stand up like for what you think is right in a case like this. I don't know. But the yeah, point I is that know. he stepped down. Yeah. He called that he called the reading of the Quran during a in, in a church service a serious error, which I have to yeah. agree with him. I mean, <laughs> especially when it's a, a a very blatant contradiction to the Christian theology. Right, and it's also in the middle of the church meeting and worshiping the Lord together. Why would you read passages from a different religion that says that's not correct, right? I mean, listen, we've talked about this many times. We're very open to healthy dialogue. I'm, I'm into discussing the differences between Islam and Christianity. But just like how I would never, ever, ever expect uh, someone from, from a mosque to invite me in to read passages from the Bible about how Jesus was the Son of God, I would not really expect the opposite to happen either, or the, the you know, the other, the other side of it to happen either, where. Someone reads passages from the Quran during a church service that say, no, Jesus was not the son of God. So, Nor would I go to my engineering office and set up a coffee shop and start serving coffee. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Well, no, it, it's, it's even more than that. It's like going right. to an Apple store and selling Windows phones. It's the it's, it's oh, yeah, opposite Tim, it's of a, what you stand it's for. It's exactly like that, Tim. Yeah, that, that's a, that was a much better example. <laughs> Sorry. Did it, was that sarcastic? Yes. Of me? Okay. Was that sarcastic? Did I come across as sarcastic enough? Was that supposed to be sarcastic? Yeah, oh, definitely. My. Oh, I thought it was a good example. <laughs> I thought so too. It's their competition. It is. They're not, they don't agree on sure. anything. I'm just, I'm trying to bring it home. But I was guys. still a lot bigger than that. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. <laughs> of course it is, Jordan. Was that sarcastic enough for you? Yeah. No, it's not. Okay. Apple is sure. a billion dollar industry. Mm. Good point. Thank good you. Good point. That's a dollar for we'll every get Christian em. in America <laughs> or the world. <laughs> not America. <laughs> Wow. Anyway. I've had too much coffee. It's been a long day. I'm so sorry. These poor these poor listeners are probably like, what the heck are these guys talking about? Um, anyway, so I thought that was a very interesting article that Jordan found for me to read to you guys. Um, yeah, just kind of, I don't know. I'm all about it. I'm all about inner, inner faith dialogue. But, I mean, come on. Isn't this like 101? Right. So in conclusion, you agree with him speaking out against it. Yeah, dude. Okay, I mean, good. absolutely. I would hope, <laughs> yeah. I would hope any any... 
fundamental yeah, Christian sure. would be in agreement saying... His, the quote, let me read the quote actually from him, which I think is really good. He wrote, because I think it is a higher and more compelling duty to speak out on behalf of the faith than to retain a public honor which precludes me doing so at this time, I resign my post. I respect that. I respect it as well. So Cool. Anyway, hats off to that guy. That's your Christians in the News segment. Now, something else I want to talk about for a, a minute, Rob and Jordan, before we move into our main topic is, for us, we're recording this a couple of days after Easter. So for us in the States here, Easter One just day happened. after Easter. Well, I want to throw our audience off. I don't want them knowing when we record this stuff. Okay. You know why? I'll tell you why. Bleep it out. I listen to all these different podcasts, and no one ever tells you when they're doing anything in real time. You don't know when the date is. It's May 15th. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, so it's okay. It's the Monday after Easter. I want to pose this question to you guys, and I want our listeners to hear your answers to it. You, I, I tend to think that personally I'm a little more – I wouldn't say like liberal as far as like my church views go, but definitely I I'm pretty open, I think, to a lot of things, right? More definitely than you, Rob. For sure. Oh yeah, I agree. And Jordan, I I would think maybe I'm a little far, a little bit farther left than you would be if we're kind of you know. I would say he's in between us. Probably is. I, he probably what is. I know. That seems to be the listener's opinion as well. Yeah. Okay. Fair from enough. From the poll but, we put out. But I tend to think <laughs> yeah. though that I'm almost like, I'm, I'm almost more liberal in the sense of like, well, I don't know how to really explain it. I don't have the words, but I'm very big on you know bringing the church back to how it was designed to be. I know we disagree, Rob, on what that means, but I think that we, we come from a very similar place of like where the church is now is kind of... It's far cons- from where it started. Yeah, it's a little consumeristic. It's very showy. You know, it's about the, the show. It's a more there's, of a business model than it is a church. Model. Right. There's no. There's not really a, a big emphasis put on life outside the church, that kind of stuff. Right. Or uh, life outside the, the Sunday morning service. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to talk about Easter because something I'm seeing more and more churches do is that they put up, put they put on these big... Easter egg hunts for the community. And I've been thinking about that a little bit, and I'm not sure if I agree with that idea. And the reason why is that... Do you want to tell us why, or do you want our opinion first? Okay, well, what, what do you want? You want me to you want me to ask for your opinion first, yeah, or should I'd I like tell to, you the why? Yeah, no, I'd like to discuss it first, and then you tell us why. So, it right. doesn't, uh... so that's, that's my statement. I don't think that Easter egg hunts are... Um, are a good place for the church to start when it comes to the Easter holiday. Okay. Go ahead. You have all these thoughts, apparently. No, I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> Why didn't you ask me to wait? <laughs> I don't have any preconceived thoughts. Like this is like what Jordan well, what and I are were talking. Right, what are your thoughts right now? Right. right. Jordan and now I are talking about that. about this. That a lot of our podcast is not pre-planned. It's just kind of conversational. Sure. So this is a conversational part. And I'm ready. Go. <laughs> all right. Here it goes. The way I see it is Easter is, I think you guys would agree, the biggest Christian holiday that there is. Everything hinges on Easter. Completely. So while most people are against churches and church activities and kind of don't want to be associated with a church, an Easter egg hunt is a common ground for everybody. Like Everyone will do an Easter egg hunt. And because it's not overtly Christian, it's not overtly, we're trying to throw something in your face. Um, But you get the people there and you can give them a little message, something subtle, something quick, just to get them thinking. From that standpoint, 
I like the idea. It's you get people comfortable. You don't have to invite them into the church. You don't have to do any of that, and you get the message out that way. Let me clarify. Are you talking about like doing the big egg hunt as like a separate event, or like this is the I main don't know, like church service, doing event. one right after church, real quick kind of thing? I, I mean, just for fun. Obviously, I think for ninety five percent of churches out there, Easter the Easter egg hunt happens outside of a church service. So I'm referring right. to that. I'm referring, but to as like either. a separate, like publicized event, like come to this Easter egg yes. kind of thing is what you're talking about. Yep. Okay. Yep. I would say that. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with doing an Easter egg hunt. I think. I don't know. I mean, I guess I agree with you, Rob. On the one hand, like, why not use that as an opportunity and a place of common ground to share the gospel if you can? Um. Yeah. I don't it's, know. I, I, I guess that's see, my initial thought. I see it as the same as the trunk or treats. While sure. They're kind of silly, but you get people gathered around a common thing. Okay, they're going to go out and get candy anyway. If you do it in the church parking lot where they can come and hit a bunch of cars and you could hand them, some will hand them candy, some might hand them something to do with the Bible. It's an opportunity. What Is was it your, my turn? Yeah. What was your reasoning? Okay. Here's my thought behind this. So, like you said, Rob, Easter is, in my opinion, unarguably the most important holiday that that, that Christians around the world celebrate because what we're celebrating and really what we're, what we are reflecting on is the resurrection of Jesus, which scripture tells us without the resurrection, we have no faith. Yeah. Everything hinges on that. Mm-hmm. So, for me... Easter is also one of the most sacred holidays because of what of what we're, we are reflecting on. Good Friday is about the crucifixion. You know, we have Sunday where we celebrate that he's risen, he's conquered sin. And I think that, you know, Easter is, again, a, just a very commercialized holiday. And I don't think that Easter is for the unbeliever. I think Easter is for the believer to really focus on the core of our faith. And when we do these Easter egg things, when we do the Easter bunny stuff, I think it really dilutes the whole reason we're celebrating that holiday. Because the eggs, the bunny has nothing to do, even remotely close to the resurrection or why our whole faith exists. So, like, for instance, you just said the trunk or treat thing. For me, they're in totally two different categories because that holiday is a cultural holiday. There's no there's no Christian origin of halloween there's no real tie to it technically there is but well but you know what i'm saying though no one no one right. in the church culture celebrates halloween as like oh this is one of our right, holidays right. You a know? sacred christian right holiday. it's just kids get dressed up and the church the church has said hey you know what let's provide a safe place for anyone to trick or treat i think right. that's great but when we start bringing i just think like things like easter eggs and things that are just not core to the gospel and why we're celebrating and why we are remembering Easter, I just think it's too far for, for me. It just is. Because, okay, you know how like in other religions, like let's take Islam for example, you know, or or, um, or Judaism, they have Passover or they have uh, Ramadan mm-hmm. and they take that very seriously. That That's not a commercialized industry for them. That is a sacred Right, like time. the Day of Atonement, you don't mess with the Day of Atonement. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or Passover, you just don't, you don't mess with that stuff. But I think the church allows these things like Christmas, but mainly Easter, 
to be touched and to be commercialized when we should really be saying this is not about you making extra money off Easter eggs or us even reaching out to our community in, in these three days. This is when we internally reflect the whole reason why there is hope, why we have hope, why the gospel exists. This is a sacred time where we put away those things and we reflect solely and only on the gospel. That's my thoughts on it. Well, reflect solely and only on the gospel as it pertains to us. Yes. And yes. not gospel as it pertains to unbelievers. Well, right, because I think, and this ties into a bigger picture, I think we, and this is really, again, I, I think a lot of this is cultural, but we have really churned, I think, things that were designed for the believer into outreaches when they weren't designed to be. I don't think the Sunday morning service was ever designed for the unbeliever. I agree 100%. In, in scripture, you don't find Paul saying, you know, oh, make sure you have these big elaborate meetings that... that attract unbelievers into your into your midst that's not how it happens mm-hmm. i think a lot of that happens with just relationship like things we've talked about many times in the podcast right so this for me is one of those things as well where it's like listen anyone can come i'm not saying you have to you can't tell an unbeliever they can't come out to a service or to sunrise or you know or to a good friday service but it's not designed for you you know it's not designed for you you're welcome to come in but we're not going to we're not going to um, we're not going to bring in culture's view of Easter just to make you feel more comfortable for this holiday. Does that make sense? Right. So I think that's, for me, what I've been thinking on the past few days. And maybe it sounds harsh. I don't know. But I think that it's – I don't think it's unfair to say this is – this was designed for the body to be edified and to remember the whole reason why we have hope and faith to begin with is because of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I understand what you're saying about the commercialization of it and – even about like the Sunday gathering being designed for believers versus unbelievers. But I think I completely disagree with you when you said that Easter wasn't for the unbeliever. First of all, Easter wasn't a holiday instituted by Jesus. It was something he did that we choose to remember and celebrate and look back on. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus's death and 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 the resurrection isn't for the unbeliever, then what is for the unbeliever? Like, why did he do that if not for the unbeliever? No, I didn't say that. That that's not for the unbeliever. I said I'm saying that. But I think the celebration of it, even even the celebration of it, is something that we have come to start doing over time right, later because we believe it already. The whole reason sure. why we do is because we say we believe this. We're going to remember how important this is to our faith. I think of all the Sunday mornings, Easter is the one that is most for the unbeliever. In my opinion, because so. because it's so well known, and even people that are not as a gimmick. I'm not saying it's right, like no, a no. gimmick to get like unbelievers to like come in. And I understand what you're saying about the Easter egg hunt almost being like that. But in it's like in my mind, like yeah, we are celebrating and remembering. But it's like the entire purpose of him doing that was for the unbeliever, right? Yes, I agree. Which almost so how is it not? So how is us remembering, how can we remember internally by ourselves in a church service and not choose to go and do something about it at the same time? Like an Easter egg hunt? No, like, I, I just mean in general, it does, not an Easter egg hunt necessarily, but just like, how are we not then immediately thinking outwardly? Well, here's what I'm saying. I almost, almost any mainline evangelical church no matter how conservative I'm pointing at Rob here or how liberal I'm pointing at myself here, right, is there's almost always a gospel message 
at the end of almost any sermon. It's so rare where I've never heard that be an option for anyone who's there. What I'm and, and that's of course that's for the um, that's for anyone, the believer or unbeliever. But the reason why Christians recognize Easter and why we made it a celebration is because we're remembering what Christ did on the cross. And I'm not saying again, like I said to Rob earlier, Jordan, I'm not saying that that an unbeliever can't come out to a service, but I definitely think that for sure in the back in the way back of our heads, a lot of churches see this as like this is our biggest like you know, day of the year to get unbelievers or people attracted to our church to, be, to make new members. I'm not going to say any pastor ever admits that, but let's face it, the way that we talk about it, the way that we put effort into it, we hope that people come out and that they keep coming back. And yes, is it, is it about Jesus? Of course, but it's also because we do want to grow our church a little bit too. And well, so I think, I think that anything we do and anything we focus on growing our church in numbers or getting members, I think that's the wrong focus anytime, right. sure. ever. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always about people coming to know Christ and the kingdom expanding. Um, and I just think back, and this is coming from my pastor's sermon this Sunday, actually, so I don't take credit for this at all. <laughs> but um, You can, though. Just, he's in Seattle. You can if you want. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think he listens, thank God. Um, wow. wow. I'm just kidding. I'm muting your mic. I'm <laughs> kidding. Anyway, my, my point here being in the Gospel of John, when you see what happens on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene in the garden talking to Jesus after she sees the angels, yeah. and she doesn't realize it's him. He says, Mary, she realizes it's him. And the first thing he says to her is don't cling to me Mm -hmm. because I haven't ascended yet. And then he tells her to go. And to me, that's like, that's Easter. Like don't cling to this like celebration and what we've made it to be like, this is about, I have a mission for you guys. (laughs) Like this is what I have for you to do. I'm sending my helper to you so you can do this. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, that's what Easter is. Like, it's not about us. It is. I mean, it's, it is about us remembering inter like, and remembering the significance of that to us as believers for sure. But I feel like that for us is completely pointless if we don't also turn that into an outward people need to know about this because that's why he died. Well, (laughs) do you mean outward in the sense of, like the how big the Sunday morning service is. No, I, I don't mean that at all. I don't mean I, I. I'm trying to veer away a little bit from like the whole idea of like being a big uh, draw for people sure. or doing the Easter egg hunt thing. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where this conversation started. But where I'm disagreeing with what you said before is just that Easter itself, the point of us our celebration of Easter, I think, is way less internal remembering. Although that is important. But it's that whole, like, faith without works is dead. Like, our celebration of this event without us also going out and sharing that with other people is pointless. For sure. And I think Jordan and I would agree with you if your point was you don't agree with the churches doing this big Easter egg hunt in lieu of their regular church service, where they then turn this opportunity to share the gospel and just make it some light commercialization of an egg hunt where we should be doing like what Jordan is saying, bring them in, taking this opportunity because a lot of people that don't go to church will go to church on Easter. It's like 70% of people that you invite. That's true. (laughs) And then the next Sunday, 68% of them don't come back. And that's okay. But that's kind of my point though, is that like, yes, I get, and I know that in our, in, in America in 2017, 
almost every church. I mean, we, we did three services that were packed, okay, because people come. But they don't come back the next week, most of them. So, and so that's kind of my point is like, yes, we can preach and we can say all these things and we can gear a whole service around the unbelievable for Easter. But A, most of them just do it out of because their mom made them or out of like some kind of religious duty that they feel the need to go on Easter and never come back again. Um, or, you know, they're sitting there like just like I'm here because I'm forced to be here. And I'm saying, yes, some of them might come back and some of them might even become legit followers of Jesus for sure. And that's great. But in my head, Easter really, for me, is just, I mean, this is probably more personal. It's not, I can't speak for every Christian out there, but as someone who grew up in the church and kind of got jaded to the gospel and to hearing, um, you know, to the point of just nonstop, Jesus died and rose again, like that becomes numb when you hear it every day for almost 30 years, you know, nonstop. It's it, for Sarah, like for Sarah and I, this, this Easter on Saturday, we read through from John, I think 17 to the end. So from G, so from the prayer of Jesus for his people all the way through. And it was like really powerful. Cause I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever read it out loud like this before. And it was a great reminder of like, this is the whole reason I have a faith to begin with. And that's kind of what got me thinking about like, wow, like maybe like the church needs to focus on this stuff once a year too and get refreshed and why the whole reason why we have a faith to start out with. And I just think that we, we spend a lot of effort and time for like these, like these, these big event services that usually yield very little fruit, you know, in, in the church life. So I'll, I'll throw this out there. This is one of the reasons that I really like the church that I go to is we, those services are always separate. So the Sunday morning service is always just for believers. So we have we have that separation where there is a very visible separation between the believers and the unbelievers or members of our church and non-members of our church where we remember uh, the Lord and what he did for us in a very simple way. We do the bread and the wine every week because as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So it's very simple and it's always for believers. Unbelievers are more than welcome to come, but they can't partake because they're not one with the body. They, they, can't, they can't understand and can't really enjoy those things. But later in the evening, that's, we have a gospel meeting specifically for the unbeliever, where it's just straight gospel. I think what, what the problem is that you're pointing out is we have so mixed the two that the believers don't feel like they ever get... Uh, a church service that's dedicated to them. It's always a little bit of help for the believer mixed with a little bit of gospel, mixed with a little bit of rebuking, mixed with a little bit of encouragement. And so we have this semi-message that I think is one, confusing unbelievers, confusing Christians, and frustrating the body as a whole. Yeah, I think that's a, a decent way to sum it up. You know, Ultimately, I just really believe that when the church is gathered, it's for the church to be edified and to pursue the heart of Jesus together because you're united under that cause. Yeah. Not that you have to, that someone who's not a Christian can't come out like you said they definitely can. But I just think we've we swung the pendulum so far to this the seeker friendly movement and now we call it sojourners. That's like the millennial version of that, you know, oh they're just sojourning on through life that those moments should happen at people's coffee tables over a meal. That's when you have the unbeliever and you're, you know, and you're able to hang out and just talk and know them as a human. But when you start trying to make these services 
you know, either like rock concerts or, you know, whatever it is and, or like, you know, motivational messages and just positive thinking stuff. I just think you run into a real danger because I don't think that was the original intent for, for that meeting. I think the, right. the, the design of the Sunday morning service was let's get together because we're one in the body of Christ. Let's pursue the heart of Jesus together. Let's edify each other. Let's hear a teacher break down the word and then let's use that as fuel to reach and love our neighbors outside of these these times, and if people get interested, bring them on out. Right. So that's kind of my 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 final thought, I guess. I don't know, Jordan, if you want to have a final say because I'm kind yeah. Of going no, I bit. understand what you're saying about like the event of it and like the the Sunday morning service like being geared the way it is. Um, yeah, I guess what I meant, what I was trying to say was more just like as individuals what Easter should mean to us should always lead into that. What you were, right. what you just said about For sure. having those moments, whether, whether it is on Sunday morning because they happen to be there or later on at, around your coffee table. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's something I'm always going to wrestle with is like, well, the, our culture set up this way. People who aren't Christians just think, Oh, I'll go to church to become a better person. So what do you do with that? You know, do you just say, Oh, you know, like, like do, you, do you just kind of, shock the system and say, we're never doing this again. The church, you know, Sunday morning is only for the believer. Well, that's a, you can't just overnight, you know, turn that switch on or off. Right. So I think I wrestled with both of those where I'm like, well, the system is kind of set up this way. How do we reach the people who have these preconceived notions while also living authentically as Christians and not watering down our message or watering down our meeting because people think that it's too boring or, or whatever it could be. So just one thought on that. I feel like what that really comes down to is the leaders being able to pour into and to teach the individuals that are part of a church to be able to be that to the unbeliever on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It shouldn't be the leader's job to, to pour into the unbeliever on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It should be their job to make sure that everyone else in their church is pouring into that person on a Sunday no, morning I totally or agree. in a Sunday afternoon and a Sunday evening. Yeah. I think we've, We've touched on that in our blog in previous years about how pastors really should be equippers. Right. They, they shouldn't. We rely on, I say, we as the American culture relies on pastors to do the teaching and the preaching and to do the gospel and to be disciples. Yeah. And, and we, we rely on them to do everything where they should really be equippers, equipping the body to go out and do those things. Yeah. Right. Right. I think all this kind of really, honestly, Rob, it worked out, but I think it ties a lot into what you want to talk about tonight as like our main, our main discussion about the idea of, you know, the word authenticity, what we think it means versus kind of what it's turned into, what it's turned into and, you know, the tension between grace and sin and living in grace, but not in sin and what that means for the believer, I guess, as a whole, because I think it's something that in our culture we're seeing more and more just kind of bubbling up to the surface, you know, as being, well, I'll let you kind of go into more detail about it, but, you know, I think that, that what we just talked about, ironically, ties in really well to what we're going to talk about. See, and you are all worried about what? What's the real topic? What What are we really going to talk? Well, we're going to see just how worried I was because <laughs> I want to see how how well you've thought this through. It's, it's very big picture stuff. So. No, no, it is, but I think we can get a little bit of a practical application. Oh wait, we're getting coffee refills. Yes, there's not enough for you though. Wow. Sorry, it's, it's your my, house, it's but my house. I'm finishing the coffee off. That's fine. <laughs> Jordan really finished it off. That's great. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan.
All right, go ahead, Rob. I'm listening. I'm all ears. I'm just really thirsty right now. <coughs> There's some water. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> I'll get it out of your fridge for you. All right, go ahead. So we want to talk about authenticity and an authentic Christian, what that means. Um, I looked up what authentic means in the dictionary. Oh, it's, boy. Are you preaching right now? Yes, I am. Okay. We're going to have a four-point right. sermon. Yep. <laughs> We're listening. King James only. That's right. Actually, the, the verse I have here is in ESV. Oh. Uh, so, authentic means not false or imitation, real, actual, true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. I think we can all agree with that beautiful definition. Well, what choice do we have? It's a freaking definition. That's yeah, right. I was going to say. <laughs> like, I could I try can, to disagree, yeah, but... <laughs> I disagree. Well, a dictionary says otherwise, so... <laughs> um, so, what I wanted to... I want to ask this question before I get into kind of some of my thoughts is to you, what does it mean when somebody says to live authentically or an authentic Christian? What, what other words, what ideas come to your mind when we pose that question? Well, before we even get there, though, hold on. I just feel like you should really give the whole premise of what you're thinking because until you explain it to me, I didn't put authentic, the word authentic in this framework. Like I know, I know where you're going, but I think that the word authentic for me, I never thought about it how you thought about it until earlier today. Okay. So why don't you kind of give your thesis for all this, and then we can maybe dig into some of this stuff. All right. All right. So I, I will give you, when I asked a bunch of people what it means to be authentic, kind of the, the notions that I got. All right. Go ahead. Um, so when I was going forward, uh, and it comes from a message that I gave in my church recently about true Christianity. And one of the points that I wanted to bring out was be authentic. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I wanted to capture that verse and bring out authenticity. What does it mean to be authentic? But with talking to people and asking, what does it mean to be authentic or just conversationally uh, hearing people talk about it, what what I gathered that people associate authenticity with brokenness. So in our culture, somebody when we look at somebody and say they're all they're living an authentic life, it's they're open about how they've sinned, they're open about their brokenness, they want to talk about how God had resurrected them from the sin, but they are still sinners and they still fall into these things, and. Just the idea that authenticity is, I'm okay with being broken because I have the grace of God. And with that background, I just wanted to bring that into, is that a scriptural view of authenticity? And is that a healthy view of authenticity in a Christian's life? Is that enough background for you, Tim? I think so. So what you're saying is that you ask people, I guess, in your personal life. Yeah. When you're when you were when you were preparing for this sermon, mm-hmm. what it means to be an authentic Christian, and you found that most of that was tied to people who were transparent about them being not perfect. Right. That's right? that's what I found. Yes. Okay. And you have a problem with that? Somewhat. Yes. All right. What's your problem with that? No, I. You you said that you didn't have the same view of authentic, so I want to know what what is your view of authentic? Well, when when I, when I hear people say that they're an authentic Christian, I usually assume oh, like they're living as Christ you know, teaches as much as, as much as possible. That's kind of how I always view that, that statement to being, of course, the context is going to change that clearly 
because the word authentic can be can mean different things. Right. Um, the other way I've also thought of it was that wow, this person is transparent and they're honest about their shortcomings because I think a right. lot of that comes from you know my parents' generation of the church of just kind of you know the the the, the typical. You know, Sunday morning Christian. Oh, how's everything, Rob? Oh, it's great, Tim. God is good. Oh, me too. All when the really, time, and God right, is good. When really none of that is is true, and we've we've had all these hidden sins that we've been dealing with for years, like pornography or whatever it is, you know, right. violence or whatever. Um, and so, you know, people now I think say, oh, that person that person's an authentic Christian, meaning he's open and transparent that he's not a perfect Christian. And that he has problems in his life like any normal human does. Mm-hmm. So. Which that ties into some of the more um, some of the more research that I did. That that second half ties into it. That's Right. But I don't have a problem with that. Okay. That, that's okay. But I want to know what your problem is with that. <laughs> I, Jordan needs to give his okay. two cents. <laughs> I'd say that my first thought is also something along the lines of like transparency comes to mind. And not that, because what you said before was like open and honest about your shortcomings and feeling like it's okay. I wouldn't say that it's feeling like it's okay. I would say, yes, being open and honest about your shortcomings and your imperfections, because that's just who we are as humans. Cause that's the truth of reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but not, not being okay with that, you know, being able to say, but this is how I know I'm supposed to be living. And this is what I'm striving for. Right. Yeah. So, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think authentic should be we're open about things and we talk about things. Like you said, the generations ahead of us, that they live this quote-unquote authentic Christian life, but when you look behind the surface, it's all a sham. Like They're not really living what they're preaching. Everything is not okay. People are falling apart and nobody wants to actually talk about issues or problems. And so I I understand that side of it. But I think now with how our culture or how our generation takes things and then pushes them to the extreme is where I'm seeing the problem. That it's not just enough to be um, open and talk about it and say, I want to do better. Help me do better. Because even Paul said that. I do what I hate, but I want to do the right thing. Um, is that we're almost wearing a badge of honor saying, look at how sinful I am, or look at how, how much God's grace has restored me. And we're wearing our brokenness as a badge of honor to say, this is how authentic I am. Look at how deep into sin I can go, and God's grace still covers me. Does that make a little more sense as to what I was thinking about? Yes, it does. I... I I know what you're talking about because I've seen it and I've experienced it and whether it's on social media or it's in real life, I think that there are issues that, and I'm speaking specifically for our generation because I'm part of that generation. I do feel like there are things that Christians our age uh, have gotten themselves into and they've either justified it as, oh, it's not wrong or 
they've kind of pulled the, well, you know, like I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying, but you're not really trying because when someone brings it up, you get super defensive about it and you don't want to hear what that person's trying to tell you. And so all of a sudden now, like your mess becomes like, like you said, like a badge of honor where it's like, yes, I'm messy and proud. Right. You know, like, yes, I'm messy. I'm very proud that I'm messy. I'm not going to make excuses for why I'm messy because I'm messy. And that's why Jesus died. Right. And, and yes. So I, is that, is that kind of like your point? Right. Is like, there's nothing wrong with being authentic, but it's when there's not a lifestyle of repentance and a lifestyle of wanting to follow Jesus and trying to be open to his will for your life and mm-hmm. letting go of things that maybe he's asking you to let go of. And you're okay with that to a point where you would wear it proudly and say, yep, I don't really care that I'm messy and it is what it is. So deal with it. Right. Yeah. I think the, the phrase that kept coming to my mind is that, um, authenticity has replaced holiness. God didn't call us to be quote-unquote authentic or open. That's part of the gospel to share, hey, this is what God has saved me from. And, but he saved me from it, not in it. And so right. what, what I just wanted to bring out was that holiness is authenticity. Right. God has called us to live holy lives, not to wear these badges of authenticity of, look how broken I am, but he's called us to live a holy life. He's called us to live a life that is separated unto him. He called us to rise above our sinfulness. That's why he said to the woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't say, make sure you go tell everybody that you were caught in adultery. He said, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want our generation to be marked by is authenticity that's marked by holiness, not authenticity that's marked by brokenness. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, I feel like as a generation, we can swing that pendulum too far in the other direction. And that's kind of what naturally happens when we realize something has gone too far one way as we go too right. far the other way. <laughs> um, not me. I'm very balanced. Yeah, you yeah, always come true. right back to center, Tim. I'm like a bullseye, man. Dead center. <laughs> yeah. That's why I call you Perfect Center Tim. <laughs> That's my nickname for you. Thank you. It's not. No, I know. Um, <laughs> you can't say those things while I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> my, my goal is to say funny things while people are drinking. I was just talking to someone about this the other day. Oh That's actually gosh. like something I do on purpose. Wow. <laughs> Especially the last sip of the final. Yeah. Sometimes I try and have like four or five things lined up. So when you go back to it, I have another one. Anyway, my point being like I brought to mind to me uh, the Romans five and six where, you know, in Romans five, he's talking, Paul's talking about uh, grace and how grace has saved us. Um, and then in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right. By no means. And I think what you're talking about is kind of our generation swinging too far and stopping at the end of, of chapter 5. Right, exactly. And not having that, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And I think that's what you're talking about, the holiness aspect of that. Right. So, yeah, that's good. Well, I mean... Okay, this is kind of just my opinion, but right. I feel like there are two things that a lot of Christian millennials get tied up in when they shouldn't. One is premarital sex. Yeah. Another one is alcohol. And I don't just mean drinking. I mean like getting drunk. Right. And I see The things it, that the scripture is clearly against. Right. And that's what, you know, I, I see it and I hear about it a lot, more than I would like to even admit. Mm-hmm. You know, where there, I mean, whoever it is. And I think that there are a lot of, I think that we just have justified both of those things 
in some way, shape, or form. You know, either it's a cultural thing. Well, it's your twenty first birthday, so let's get you. You know, let's get you drunk or whatever it is. You know, like, and I'm just thinking of like things that you know in my my last twenty eight years here on Earth, I've either seen or have happened where I'm like, that is so weird. Like, I don't get that because. I understand that there are certain things that are gray. I understand that you're going to wrestle with things. And I understand that you're, you're going to make mistakes. I'm not saying you can't do those things and not be forgiven or not be a Christian. Right. But the mentality is always justified. Oh, well, you know, I know I shouldn't, but, or, you know, especially the premarital sex one, I feel like is such a big one that millennials have just justified because, and I, listen, I'm not saying it's easy. It's very difficult to live some kind of pure lifestyle in our culture without being marred in some way, shape, or form. Right. You know, and I think all of us here on the mic or even, you know, people listening have struggled at some point with pornography or premarital sex or things that went close to sex but not sex. Like, we've all had those battles, but. I knew it was wrong, and I didn't want to do those things, and I wasn't proud of it. It wasn't like, hey, I'm ha- I'm sleeping around. Oh, well, it feels good. I know God forgives me. It was, this is not okay in my life, and I need to cut it out. What do I do to get rid of this? And I'm not saying I was successful in it personally, you know, but I feel like those two things in particular, we've kind of justified as Christians, and we have no problem doing those things, and then on Sunday morning, we're in church praising Jesus, and I think that there's... That's a problem because the issue isn't the sin, right? We know that. It's not about doing bad things. We've all fallen short. But Christ tells us to repent, which means to turn away from. It doesn't mean, I think. I think turn that, away from because you felt guilty at that moment, then turn back to right, it well, or say, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I, I think that there are certain Christian words like repent that we've kind of not gotten correct sometimes. Even mm-hmm. the word sin, it means to miss the mark. I think that we have all these like super negative, like, oh, sin is just a list of bad things. Or the word repent means to, you know, like fire and brimstone kind of feel. But what it means is that you're going to turn away from what you were doing and go the opposite direction. It's a very simple you know, unoffensive thing to say to someone like, Hey, you should probably turn away from that and go the opposite way. You should repent, (laughs) but we don't see it that way. And we justify those things. And then we kind of brag about, Oh, I'm just a broken mess. And it's like, Hey, to a degree, I understand what the person's saying. There is beauty because God makes us beautiful in our mess. Right. But the point isn't to stay a mess. The point is being restored back to who God made us to be originally, which was not a mess. That's the whole point of the gospel is that we have hope outside of our mess, outside of our faults, outside of our sin, to live in wholeness with a God who loves us and in a lifestyle of community with each other so that one day we're fully restored to our relationship with Jesus in heaven one day, you know? So is that kind of, that's kind of my thoughts on it, you know? And I feel like, that, like those two issues in particular are something that a lot of millennials in the church either participate in or they struggle with. And it's not really like, you know... I don't know, maybe not really addressed as much as, as I think it should be or not called out. Maybe I, I don't really know how the words for I don't have the words for it right now, but something like that. I think I, what, what got me started down this entire trail was Joy and I have been talking a lot about two things. One, what it means to be led by the spirit. And two, um, the judgment seat of Christ. And what got me started on this authenticity and being followers and true Christianity is the judgment seat of Christ. At the end of time, all Christians will stand before Christ and give an account of the life that they live for him. And I think at that point, what God intended for our lives, our lives are so that we can be transformed unto the image of his dear son. That's the whole point of Christian life. That goes for gospel work, that goes for holy living. Everything about our lives is to be transformed to the image of his son. 
So the the judgment seat of Christ, and I found a lot of, um, I don't, I, I'm losing the word here, but um, it was very hard for me to think about this because it was very challenging for me. So I'm thinking about the judgment seat of Christ, and it's really where God will do what we wouldn't let him do in our life. God will force us to become like his son. And I know that's kind of rough terms to, to think about it, but God will force upon us that you're going to be made like my son. I'm going to eradicate all of this sin. And I think for me, at a lot of things that I cling to, it's going to be a very painful process yeah. because I'm going to say, I gave up my life to be lived for the Lord in this area because I wanted to cling to this. And then I'll get to heaven and say, but I could have had that. Right. And I've just been, it's just been really impressed upon me how painful that will be if we're not living by the Spirit and if we're not yielding to that in every step of the way, saying, you know what, maybe this isn't the best for my Christian life. Maybe this thing that I'm so enamored with or so set on justifying, maybe the Spirit actually is working with me and I'm just resisting. And how painful will it be when I get to the judgment seat of Christ and God says, now I'm going to force you to relive that. Right, now I'm taking it off for, for real, no matter right. what. because now you're not even going to have the sinful nature. And it, ju- mm-hmm. it will just be a painful reminder of, I could have let go of this far sooner if I would have just submitted. Mm-hmm. And that's where that whole idea of authenticity and living in the spirit and being a true Christian really has come from for me. It's very challenging for me. Um, that was powerful and a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah, I can just picture our listeners just like jaw dropped, like "Oh my gosh, I never thought of it like that before." And that's how I'm thinking about it. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of it I think just comes down to, for me especially, I think about like, do I really believe that Christ is who He said He is? Mm-hmm. Do I really believe it? Because if I did, that would probably change some of the habits that I'm into now. Not that not that these habits are even what we would call quote unquote sinful, right. but that's why you have to re- you have to get back to the meanings of these words, or else you're going to be stuck in this list oriented faith your whole life. Sin means to miss the mark. That's what it means. I mean, we, we we I know we talk about that a lot, but the idea for me is that you know every time you're not in sync with the Holy Spirit, that's missing the mark. That's the whole point, I think. You know, and that brings a whole new like view of living life with the Spirit because if God's directing your every day. If he's the one who, who you're following, then you're not in sin or in missing the mark. It's right, because he's just, never going to lead you there. Right. Sin isn't just, you know, oh, I did something bad. I told a white lie. It's a life thing, right? And I think that sin wants to keep us as separated from God as possible because that's what it's designed to do. I, I, think, I think that's the whole point is that the more that, that the devil can have us miss the mark with even things that we don't see as like, as like one of the big sins, you know, like binge watching TV shows. If the Lord's saying, no, spend time with me and we're not, that's missing the mark right there. You know what I mean? But it can be tricky because it's like, how do you do that well? Right. And I think that God wants us to enjoy life. And I don't think there's anything wrong, you know, with watching a TV show or even binging a TV show. But it's when you're in the will of the Father. I think that's that's what's so important. But I boil all that down to, for me, saying, do I really believe that he's there? Do I really, do I really believe that, that he's that interested in my life to where the God of the universe cares if I do this or that because he's over all things? And he also simultane- si- simultaneously has our relationship with like, I don't know, a billion other people, you know? So I think that's what I wrestle with the most is like, 
if I believe that Christ is who he said he is, that he's alive now, that he's real, and that and that he's the only hope for the humanity, if I believe that, that changes how I live my life for that day. But if I forget or I don't believe that, then I kind of become like an atheistic Christian, if that makes sense. You know, where, yeah, yeah maybe I say in, in word, oh, I believe you, but I really don't believe it because it's not affecting how I live or what I give up or what I start doing right. because of that of that relationship. Yeah. I think it's always important to look at like how you're actually living your life and doing things because I mean that's why the Bible talks about like the fruit, like what's coming out and what's actually happening, that shows that points back to what you're what you actually believe and what you you know. And then it kinda goes into like what you were saying before about like people justifying um the things that they're living in. And it's not, it's not, or if ever a conscious, like, well, you know, grace, I'm okay. You know, I can do this because grace, you know, and it's very much more just an unconscious that, but that's the way you're living. So obviously that's what you're believing because you're living that way. (laughs) Let me also point out one, I think very important part. I can picture people listening to this and thinking, well, you know, listen, judge not lest you be judged. But I want to point something out here. Scripture is super clear that the body is called to hold each other accountable yeah. with love and with and with gentleness, uh, uh, you know, right. at least in the beginning. But the whole point is that Paul very clearly says in Corinthians, you judge those inside the church. God will judge those outside the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that people get real defensive because we're prideful, myself included. I don't want to have someone tell me hey, I think this is wrong in your life. It hurts, and I don't want to admit that I'm wrong, and I don't want to admit that I'm, you know, that I, I just don't want to admit that I'm wrong, mm-hmm. essentially. But it's so important that we that we do. Like, you know, if someone, like Rob, if you came to me and said, Tim, this is in your life, I think it's a problem, it would really suck. And I would probably at first be like, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. But I would know that it's part of the believer's job to call each other out because we're pushing each other to be more like Christ. That's the whole point. I would also assume that your your intent was positive and that you were there to help me, not to tear me down. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think it's important that we realize that because especially listen, I say millennials, but really humans, but millennials in this case, we don't like authority. We we don't like authority. And we don't like being told what to do. And we don't like being told that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. And we created all these like safe spaces for everything to an extreme. Right. Everything is a hurt feeling. Everything is well if I, if I feel this way, it's genuine and you have to accept that and while i understand parts of that you know um, mindset there gets to a point where it's so extreme that you can't say anything about someone who's in a total mess i've had people who are in total messes i mean just disaster situations not want any help or advice on how to change because judge not lest you be judged it's like dude your life is is falling apart in front of you and you're so tied up in like well my feeling is valid and I'm here to tell you that actually it's not as a brother in Christ you need help but you don't want to hear it you know what I mean and listen I've been on the other end of that conversation too yeah. I, I've been that guy yeah. I need to say that as well I've been that guy arrives and Jordan can attest to this I'm sure you know oh no 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 I don't want to hear it but you know that eventually you know listen what is uh what's the proverb I don't know if it's an actual proverb but it's uh <laughs> no it is a proverb <laughs> now that I think about it it says better are the faithful wounds of a friend than the deceitful kisses of an enemy. Right. Mm. I think that is just so true, man. Like I'd rather have my friends be straight with me, even though it sing- stings and I might not see it that way in the beginning, than having friends <laughs> or an enemy, someone I don't like, pray, you know, saying my, singing my praises and it not being You authentic. are on the right path here, Tim. Right, exactly right, exactly. So I, I think that's important because we don't want that. Account- we want 
comfortable accountability i think millennials do like oh yeah keep me accountable until we hit this line then just stay out of my <laughs> life and it's they want the best of both worlds we want our cake you want to eat it too that's just not how it goes for well, that, anyone that's come back that comes back to that whole idea of transparency like yeah i'm going to be open and honest with you but am i going to be able to like you know receive what you're going to respond to that right. <laughs> like and i think that's so important to you know even to just take this conversation beyond like what's the problem we see here to like how do we address that right. is w- exactly what you're saying like i think it's really like being authentic and open and transparent and also allowing and being open to people telling you that you know this is what i see happening in your life and this is where i like you're in need of repentance mm-hmm. in repenting I think that some people, not everyone, so I'm not generalizing for the record I'm on a podcast, but I think some people deep down secretly want to stay in their mess. Like they might not make it seem like that. They might not say that, but deep down they don't want to move. They'd rather be in the mud and just stay there and be and say, woe is me. Woe mm-hmm. is me. I'm a victim. Woe is me. I don't want to move. And deep down, they don't want to move. No matter how much you give that person advice or say, hey, I'll help you or what do you need? It's just, oh, just woe is me. There are people out there that do that. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point, especially if it's a brother or sister in Christ, sometimes they need just a good smack in the head you know, <laughs> mentally. Like, dude, wake up. You know, you got to get out of this funk pronto. This thing is destroying you. But again, I don't think we always want to hear that. We, we, we say we want community. We say we want you know accountability until it gets messy or uncomfortable, and then we're out. Then we're right. out because we're such a feeling-based generation, and if it doesn't feel good, it must not be good. And it, that's just not it's not, a, it's not a realistic way to live your life because we all know as well that sometimes pain's a good thing. Sometimes hurt can be a positive thing. Sometimes being stretched really grows us the most you know they say that that you know um sarah and i I have been listening to a marriage podcast recently and one of the the things that they say is that tragedy and hardships actually bring you closer together as a couple they actually bond you more so i'm convinced that not that i wish hardships on anyone but those things can be used not only for the glory of god but for your own life and your own benefit in the long run yeah and you always have to be allowing that to happen because we can get very bitter over lots of things in life. I, I can think of points in my life where things have happened and I've had to step back and say, maybe God is trying to teach me something here. Maybe my car got stolen for a reason. Maybe all of these things are happening because I'm not doing what I should supposed to be doing. And obviously we don't have to analyze every little thing but right, in our life. Right. But there should be times where we step back and say, am I allowing the spirit to actually speak to me or am I being so stubborn that these circumstances mean nothing to me? You know where I hear that a lot? I hear it from people who leave the church and get hurt. It's that, that's the mentality, man. It's, you know, this is bad. I'm out of the church. I'm gone. They hurt me. I'm done with it. I'm, I give up on the institutional church. I give up on church life as a whole. And I've asked people, or I told them, I said, I think you made the church your Jesus. And so when the church failed you, in your head, Jesus failed you. Right. You know, and that's that's not a good thing because people are in the church. People are going to hurt you. I've been hurt by people in the church. But that can be just part of life. And it doesn't make any sense to give up on the on the church as a whole because of your experience with it. You know what I mean? Yep. But I hear it. I mean, people that I work with grew up in the church, got hurt, left the church, not walking with the Lord. And in my head, I'm just like, Wow, like so did you have a relationship with Jesus to begin with or was the church 
really your God. And then when that failed you, your whole faith crumbled because it was so built on the feeling of whatever it was that you got from attending a church service. Yep. And to kind of almost wrap it up or say, okay, well, how do I live authentically? How, what, what does that mean? I think we've kind of already hit the nail on the head as it were, but it's to remember that we're redeemed. I think remembering what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to are very important things that God has called us to holiness. God has called us to be conformed to his image. Um, we have, we have come to know the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the hope, and all of those things about God in our sinfulness. We come to know those things. And with that experience, we can go out and share the gospel. But when we remember, okay, I have been saved from this. Christ paid the, the price of his life. He shed his blood on Calvary. He underwent the judgment of God. All of those things that I'm trying to justify now become like, why... Why am I even wasting my time? I should be living for him. Julie and I were just talking last night. And uh, it's something that's been weighing heavy on my mind. Maybe it's because I'm turning 30 this year. So, you know, I'm an old man now. dreaded 30. (laughs) I'm not far behind you, dude. But I was just laying in bed and I was just like, Julia, at, at some point, why are we not awakening to the fact this is the only chance at life we get? This is it. I, I don't get to press reset and start over and go right. back 10 years and redo it. Right. Every decision I make every single day is affecting the next year of my life and the next 10 years, and then will affect my eternity. This is my only chance to get it right. Right. Why would I waste my time doing anything but living for Christ? Yeah, I, I think part of that definitely is as you get older, you realize that you're mortal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I probably never thought about death and the end of my life more in the past, you know, like two years and I have like in my entire life, but right. you just kind of get there where you're like, like time is moving. Life is moving. I'm getting older. Like I went to my, my little cousin's 17th birthday. I'm like, I thought he was 12 still. He's 17. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. That means that when I was like 21, this kid was 12. I mean, I'm, well, I'm old, you know, or I'm getting older. Like, and I, there's no stopping it. It's just happening. There's nothing you can do to ever go back. So I, I, uh, I totally, align with that sentiment because I've been talking to Sarah a lot about that as well like man like life is moving you know like we only get you know every day we get there ain't no going back to that day so we better enjoy every moment we have you know and that's helped us in our marriage a lot it's just saying like dude this is not permanent you know like let's enjoy every moment we have together because one day be it a far away time for sure it's not anytime soon but one day before we know it you know things are going to be changed we'll have kids or we'll have I can't even think about having grandkids or, you know, one of us passing away. Like, that's that's an inevitability. Right. At some point, that's going to happen, which is, for me, I think the most terrifying part is that you can't change that mm-hmm. unless the Lord comes back before then. But, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't foresee that happening in my lifetime, you know. So, at one time, like, stuff like that's going to happen. And that's why I think, to me, my faith has to get – is getting more and more grounded because I keep on thinking about if, the, if this isn't true, then there's no hope. Why do anything? Like I'm so I'm so convinced of that, you know that if, if what Christ did isn't true, if this is the most elaborate hoax in the history of the world, like there really is no hope for anyone else or for anything. No, and why do anything at all? You like, might as well live for the pleasures of sin, right? Because you're gonna die tomorrow. You know, like yeah, that's the whole idea: eat, drink, and be married. Because tomorrow we die. Yeah, like that's <laughs> the whole point. I get that, you know. But anyway, that's a whole different discussion. But I totally align with what you're saying, 100. percent Yeah. My final thought, just um, 
if it's cool with you guys, I wanted to just read that couple verses from the beginning of Romans 6, because I think it, like, really sums up, like, the purpose of grace in our life and why he's redeemed us, what we were bought back for. Um, So I was just going to read that real quick. Uh, It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Well, (laughs) on that note, guys, honestly, what, you have something you want to add, Rob? I was just going to say, I think we should close every episode by reading a scripture that relates to... Hmm. Sure. <laughs> because that, that was works. awesome. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's good. And what, what, that was Romans... That was Romans 6, 1 through 4. Perfect. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. So, yeah. um, everyone, thanks for listening in. Um, if you have any feedback for us or anything, you can send us an email. Rob, what's our email address? Is it still that, that long one? Yeah, podcast at coffee theology and Jesus.com. Okay, so it's we're working on it, but our <laughs> our website link is shorter now. CTJpodcast.com. Which is great. Um, so we always look forward to feedback. A couple people left us feedback on our death penalty episode from uh, a couple weeks ago, which was great. I want to respond, but I'm like, dang it, no, I can't do that. I can't be, you know, getting in, you know, getting into these debates over Facebook. So anyway. Um, yes, please feel free to share this podcast if, uh, if you enjoy it. And, uh, Jordan, thanks for coming all the way from Seattle to New Jersey for this, for this sole reason of recording an episode. <laughs> with right, us. I'm saying he set us straight on this episode. Yeah. I appreciate that, Jordan. Oh yeah. It was <laughs> no good problem. to have you back, Anytime. man. So you can buy the tickets next time. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Everyone enjoy the rest of your day, night, whatever you're doing. We'll talk to you guys later. Every have a good one. Birds come down to have the seeds. One looks so strange. It carries.